Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors. Here at Fertility Warriors HQ, we believe in three things, grace, grit, and gratitude. We don't believe you have to be perfect to fall pregnant, but we do believe that you need to place yourself and your well-being at the top of your priority list. I'm your host, Robin Birkin. For some people, trying to conceive is a cakewalk. I was not one of those people. My journey was years in the making and included IUIs, IVF and a miscarriage, as well as many, many tears before we fell pregnant with our first child. Now I'm the author of the book, Screw Infertility, and the founder of a 12-week mind-body fertility program, the Fertility Warrior Intensive. I'm here to help you not only navigate these waters, but to help you feel like a badass in the process. My superpower? Helping Taipei women find calm, confidence, and happiness in their journey. I'm a little woo-woo, a lot straight shooter, and I swear like a sailor. Sorry, mom. I've never turned down a bowl of mashed potato, and if you like salt and pepper, mm, I think we'll get along just fine. So hit that subscribe button and tune in for tips, advice, and real talk every week. I promise you, I'm not daggy. Okay, maybe a lot daggy, but subscribe anyway. Enough small talk, let's do this thing. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. I have a really powerful story for you today, and I'm sharing with you one of my friends who I have met this year, Bella Hilton from New South Wales. So another fellow Aussie. I don't know what it is that I had Lucy Lyons on before. And, you know, up until this time, I've had so many people from across the globe. And this year, I'm really connecting with so many people across Australia. And I love that. It's obviously much easier for me with time zones as well. But Bella's, I posted on my Instagram the other day, a quote by Brene Brown that everybody has a story to tell. And some people have stories that could bring you to your knees. And I think that today you'll get so much value from listening to Bella and listening to how Bella has not let the struggles on her journey define her or even derail her in terms of finding joy in her life. And I know that so many of you go to sleep at night with all of the what ifs in your head, all of the worst case scenarios, all of that kind of stuff. And I hope that you receive lots of hope, lots of confidence, and importantly, lots of really good takeaway strategies from Bella. So enough of me talking. Thanks for chatting with me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm really excited about today and yeah, what we're going to talk about. So we've, you know, we've got to know each other a lot this year and as I hear more and more of your story I'm like fuck Bella is a warrior and you I know that you have so much to share with our audience and you are right you work as a fertility coach I do yeah you and a lot of what you do is with women with unexplained infertility and I think that's probably where we'll start is your journey with unexplained infertility and what that looked like and what that felt like for you. So what was your, how, talk to us about how your journey uh, came to be with infertility. <laughs> My story is a very long one. So grab a cup of tea and, and get settled in. We're here no, for right. it. <laughs> yeah. um, 
it kind of, uh, I think it was about, look, I've said 13 years before, but I think from the, the day that I started to the day I conceived, my son was about 10 years long. And wow. Yeah, it was, it was a long ride. Now, a lot of things happened in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the very first point was I was 27. I was with my first husband because um, I also went through a marriage in that time. And um, I was, we were living in the US at the time uh, with his job and I couldn't work. And I just thought, you know, it'd be, we'd been married for eight months. It just felt like the next evolution to have a baby. And I don't think um, you're ever 100% ready to have a baby. You never you are. Kind of get no. to a point where you're like, oh, I'm just going to leap and give it a shot. And you expect that it's going to work and then, you know, et cetera. But anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like there have been times in my life where I really felt ready to be a mother and it didn't happen then. And, and you know, later on when it did, it's like, oh, I'm not sure I'm ready right now. And, and yet it happened. So yeah, so here I was 27 living in the US and I couldn't work and I had all this time on my hands. Why not have a baby, right? It seemed perfect timing, you know, plans and all that that we make for ourselves in our heads. Um, and I, we'd been living in the US about six months um, preceding this like we were there for six months came home for a month to Australia and then went back and I'd put on a bit of weight uh with all the cooking shows in the US and my love of cooking and things like that I was in heaven and but I put on a bit of weight so I decided that I would um lose a bit of weight to be healthy you know uh like you do um only I think I was a little bit too effective and I didn't realize how sensitive my body was. Wow. So in this first month of trying to conceive, I um, lost my period and oh. obviously not because I was pregnant. And so- What the head fuck right there? Yeah, this is my very first month. This is how it started. And in that first kind of two months, I met my first insensitive doctor because I went to the GP because here I was six weeks out, you know, I had a very regular cycle, very, you know, you know, it was clockwork. So, and it had not arrived. So I went to the doctor and, and I'm fuzzy on the details. I'm sure I took a pregnancy test, Mm -hmm. but to be honest, I've never want, I was never one to like take a billion pregnancy tests. Um, I just knew that that would stuff up stuff me up too much so I just never I never did it but I'm sure I took one before I went to the doctor but just really felt like you know I didn't feel pregnant in any kind of way shape or form and you know I was really excited because she said to me in that first um, meeting with this doctor she said there's only three reasons that you lose your period and I was like amazing like this woman's in my corner she's got really going to help me this is great and she sits there with a smirk on her face and says pregnancy pregnancy and pregnancy (gasps) (laughs) and I knew I wasn't pregnant and I was just like I just felt so let down in that moment that someone could be so insensitive straight off the bat Uh, because I was super worried about where my period had gone and you know, hadn't been able to work it out for myself yet. And um, so, you know, she sent me off in hand to the toilet with a pregnancy test and lo and behold, came back negative. And she had to wipe that smirk off her face and then looked very perplexed. 
which I was pleased about at the time, but I felt very alone from kind of day one in that moment. Um, and it's and then, distressing. Like this is almost the theme of like when you don't know, it's distressing. And then to go to someone who you trust or who is in a trusted position to try and find answers and then it starts off like that, I, I feel like it's that compounds the distress. Yeah, it really does. When you've got no answers about, you know, why your very regular period has disappeared or you can't conceive or whatever, it's just like, well, where do I go? Where do I go next? And what most, what most of us do is then turn to Dr. Google and try and self-diagnose and you end up going down so many rabbit holes that it gets incredibly confusing. Now, luckily for me at the time, I think, I think we were back in 2000 and four or five, if you can cast your mind back that far to the times of the dinosaur, um, you know, the internet was something that you didn't get on a lot. You know, you didn't have smartphones, mm -hmm. you didn't have all of that. So getting on the internet was a big deal. Um, that probably saved me in and there was no Facebook. way back then. No, there was no Facebook. Facebook was a lot. I remember, I think I joined Facebook in about 2009 Instagram came obviously after that. So yeah, there was not, there would not have been. No, it was completely different world back then. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I lost my period. Um, and then I basically worked it out for myself. I thought, you know, I've got to look at this and my body and maybe losing that weight that fast had, had um, been the cause because I, I felt like my body was still cycling but obviously my period had just disappeared and I went to an endocrinologist and she kind of confirmed that. And so then I just had to wait. I just had to wait for six months until everything built back up and my luteal phase was long enough and mm. all of that, because in that six months, I did have a good amount of time to get on the internet and work out all those kinds of things that I didn't know about before trying to get pregnant. And then shortly after that, I lost my period again. Oh. Um, this time, and I, again, I had to work it out for myself. Um, I think I'd lost faith, faith in doctors at that point. So I didn't even bother. Um, and cause I'd been working out for an hour every day mm. and, and yeah, that was enough. That was enough. Just my hour of workout every day was enough to stop me getting my period again. And I had an upcoming holiday coming up for, for like two weeks. And I thought, well, I won't be able to exercise. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, two weeks of no exercising and almost two weeks to the day I got my period. So I learned very early on that my body was very sensitive to a lot of things. And I think different, different things affect different people in different ways. And so exercise yep. for an hour a day might not affect some people, but yeah, for some people... I always remember my acupuncturist saying to me, gentle walking only. And I'd be like, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, very I mean, absolutely. Because I'm looking at going, I'm not overdoing anything. I'm only working out for an hour a day. Like why, mm -hmm. why is that happening? But, you know, I had to tune into me and go, okay, I think that's what it is. Cut it back to five days and then everything was fine, you know, so... So that was my first year of trying to conceive of losing my period twice and yeah. And then having to build everything back up again. So the first year wasn't very successful for me at all. And I, so how did it feel 
feeling like you had to be the detective in this, like there were like, you, there's nowhere to go for answers. I'm just going to need to find the answers myself. What was that like? Um, well, it was very confusing because yeah. once you get stuck on, you know, the internet or Google or whatever, it's like, there's not that, hey, um, if you start charting your temperatures, this is, well, there wasn't this much, that, that much information back then. It was like, wasn't like charting all your temperatures. This is what you're looking for. And this is how to really interpret your chart and, you know, things like that, that some people can do. Um, so I had loads of documents of all my temperatures, but no way to really look into it other than, oh, I think that was a dip and I ovulated and, you know, those kind of things. So didn't really have a lot of information to go on, but I really had to just sit with myself and work it out. And to be honest with you, I always, always felt like something was protecting me. Okay. And I say that because, you know, I am a big believer in the, um, the power of the mind and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was actually sitting in a very toxic marriage at the time as well. And um, yeah, that was really hard. And that's actually why I was working out for an hour every day because I was actually miserable. Mm. Um, and I felt very alone in, I felt very alone. I was thousands of miles away from my family. I was, you know, living in a country I didn't know very well or how to navigate or even how to navigate the, um, the medical system. So I didn't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I felt very alone in my marriage and my pursuit of this baby. And it, you know, of course it seems crazy to look back and think, why was I even trying to have a baby with this guy in the first place? But you know, when you're in these situations, it's never black and white, right? It's not. And I think sometimes as well, we try to make Okay. So I was talking, I was talking with a client last night that sometimes we have big decisions in life that we need to make. Yeah. Sometimes our intuition and our inner voice knows we deep down know that we need to make a decision. Yeah. We try to avoid making that decision. And I like your body knows. So that's why sometimes as well, you know, like hair loss, all of these symptoms and you can be going crazy. Like, is it my thyroid? What is it? It, it's actually, sometimes it's actually because of the stress of not making this decision. But then sometimes I feel like in order to avoid making the big decision that deep down we know we need to make, we try to make other really big decisions in our life and try to change other areas of our life, thinking somehow that that will fix it, cover it up, help us move on. I don't know. I can't explain oh, it. It's just No, absolutely. If you think about it, like there's an equation of life, right? You've got A plus P, B plus C equals life. Yeah. Now what we do is suddenly we get a, you know, a negative 500 in our life, which is a lot oh. of pain, which is our infertility, um, which is, you know, um, you know, a toxic marriage is whatever it is. But then on the other side, we go, okay, well, this is really shitty. So now I'm going to try and add a, 10, a plus 10,000 over here to make up for it rather than actually dealing with the issue that we're trying to deal with. So, yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it. We, we add on this plus 10,000 and then that, what happens is that we then get really addicted to this plus 10,000. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. whatever it is, you know, shopping, <laughs> um, addictions, that kind of thing to mask whatever it is and the pain that we're, that we're going through. Yeah. Yeah. So first year, I know that by the, by one, the one year point, I was a fucking mess. <laughs> what were you like at the one year point? I was a mess in a very different, no, like I was a shell of a human, um, mm. but for so many reasons, like that wasn't working. Nothing was working in my life though. Mm. Like I was actually living in a very um, a toxic, emotional, you know, dumping ground. I, w- I was in a horrible place. I was really in a horrible place in my life. And um you know, for some, and I had zero self-esteem. This is why I was still there. And, you know, like I had the ideals too, that I, you know, I was only ever going to get married once in my life and, you know, and I was going to do it right. And I was going to turn over every stone to, to make sure that I was only ever married once. And all of these things that we do to ourselves, um, you know, and it was only a couple of years after that, where I was like, how long do you wait until you, you know, how long until you, um, actually do something for yourself how long do you let someone else drag you down in life until you make that decision so I had to make that decision for myself mm-hmm. and I had to move on and I had to I think you know two years before I even left I I actually shelved my baby plans I had to just put them on the shelf I still went to the fertility specialist around that time though because I was still trying to look into you know, what was wrong with me and my future (laughs) and all of that. And, you know, I had tried acupuncture and all of that, but honestly, I don't think any of it would have worked at that stage because I just was a shell of a person. I can't even explain it, but I was not good. I was a mess. It just reminds me of the book, The Body Keeps Score, that like you can't. That's such a good book. Yeah. When it, yeah. Just read the book, people. Um, it's because, like, it just when there is this trauma there, like, it just everything sometimes feels like rolling shit uphill. And I talk about this, as, you know, especially in things like the fertility warrior intensive. We can take all the supplements we want. We can do the healthy diet. We can do that. But when there is something fundamentally so wrong, i.e., sometimes like the people who I deal with, it's um, like same as what you are talking about, like their self confidence, their self esteem. They're, they're feeling like a shell of a person. When that is at rock bottom, pour all the supplements and diets that you want and it's just not going to fix things. No, it's not going to do anything. Yeah. It's really not. Like rolling shit uphill. So you tried for a year and then you can't. You kind of just were going through the motions a little bit. You had another couple of years, but deep down you knew that like this was not the person that I was going to have. Oh, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. So we are all, who, everyone who is listening here is on this path of life not going to plan <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. some capacity. So what did, and then, you know, your self-confidence is at rock bottom. I know that so many people are listening, they're like, mm, life not going to plan, check. Self-confidence, rock bottom, check. Not feeling really great, like I have a whole bunch of people in my corner, check. What does making big decisions, how does, how do you get to the point of being like, mm, 
going to have to do some scary things that I didn't think I'd ever have to do in my life. What was that process like for you? It was long, but I'm one of those people, like I have to really turn over every stone. And once I have, it's like, it's done. I've made the decision. I've moved on. But it was around the same time that I did my life coaching training and I did my um, neuro-linguistic programming training, which for anybody that doesn't know what it is, is just psychology based. And a lot of that helped me change my thinking Mm -hmm. and change the way I saw myself and changed the way, um, changed um, the fact that, you know, from not feeling worthy to actually feeling worthy as a person, just as a person, I didn't even feel worthy as a person at that stage, let alone worthy of things. Mm. So I went through that process kind of slowly and building on it and just started to, you know, as I built my self-esteem back up, that's when I felt like I had the strength to, you know, because I started healing, I had the strength to make the big, big decision, not the other way around. You know, I didn't um, make the big, de- big decision and then heal. I actually started to heal, made the big decision. Um, but I have to say after that, it's like, you know, um, while some parts of my life started to go well after that, I, uh, I, I think I found a new low after that because I still had, you know, this notion. And I mention all of this because for me, it's so relevant to how I then approached my fertility. I still had this notion of like, I need that guy to complete me in my life. You know, like the movies, you know, someone, I had this, vision in my head and it's hard to admit but of like someone rescuing me 100 this is fertility like we've all been there whether it's a person or like a husband or whatever but for many of us listening we i know that i mean i've been there you feel like you need a baby to complete you yeah and i felt like like i needed a guy to complete me and i felt like i needed everything to complete me like life was just happening to me and I could just sit back and these things would magically happen or something like that. And there just came a a point where, you know, and of course I was attracting men who reinforced this like low self-esteem, this desperation Mm. need and things like Mm. that. And there came a point where I was just like, Hmm. I (laughs) I know a lot about how the mind works. I know a lot about how to turn this around for myself. I know, you know, I'm not choosing my own happiness here. And I'm saying that what's happening right now in my life is good enough for me. Mm. And I was like, fuck that. This is not good enough for me. What am I going to spend the next 50 years of my life miserable? Like when I was thinking, when I'm eight dreaming of my life and the man I'm going to marry and the kids I was going to have, I didn't picture myself being miserable. Like nobody chooses that consciously. And so I just thought I've got to turn this around. And I just went through a massive grieving process for myself, the life that I thought that I was going to live because I, you know, since I study all this stuff, I'm always reading. Peter Crone always says that um, the, the suffering comes in when the picture that you have in your head doesn't match up with reality. 
And it's so true, right? We have this big image of, of what we thought our life was going to be like, and it's not matching up. And it's like trying to load, you know, software onto a computer and it doesn't recognize it. And you're just like, and the whole thing melts down. It just doesn't work. And I had to just go, you know what? Nobody completes me. Nobody um, is going to rescue me. People have amazing lives with our partners, with our kids, like if that's my path, am I really going to choose misery for the next 50 years? I can't do it. I can't do that for myself. I had so much self-esteem then that I was like, I can't do that to myself. And so I, I took a month to really get right with myself and do all these processes that I knew how to do and I got out my whiteboard because I'm very dramatic with things. And, um, but, you know, when you hit rock bottom, like the only way is up. It's like, okay, I've got to try something, right? Yeah. Um, I wish that more people would do the stuff before they hit rock bottom because then there would be no need to hit rock bottom. But here I was, you know, and I got my whiteboard and in my apartment all alone, whiteboarding things every night and, you know, you know, and really changing things around for myself. And, you know, I'm surprised it only took a month because I'd been carrying around a lot of crap for a lot of years. And then I went out and I started having a ball. Life was amazing. I had so much fun. I've never had so much fun in my life. And I was like, wow, what, I, what have I really been waiting for? And then what happens? Four months later, Mr. Amazing comes along. Mm -hmm. Of course, because I got right with myself because I loved myself for the first time because I didn't, wasn't looking for someone to complete me. Mr. Amazing walked into my life and that was it. And then Mr. Amazing pretty quickly says that having kids is really important to him. And we you I gulp. <laughs> yeah, I was because we were only like, you know, and it was him driving it too, you know, yeah. and it was, we we're only a couple of months into our relationship. So it was all pretty new and, Pressure. Um, and I have to stand there and say, well, you know, I'm not sure I can do that. And that's a scary thing to have to say. I'm like, I don't know if I work in that way. And he, he because he's Mr. Amazing, just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, I'm adopted. So, <laughs> so, you know, he was open to the way our family might be created and that, gave me a hope for the future about maybe that these plans that you know I had for maybe having a family could come back off the shelf again because what actually happened when I got right with myself in that month when I actually um, did all the whiteboarding or whatever here's the really dramatic part is that I grieved at that point ever having a relationship ever again <laughs> and I grieved ever having kids mm -hmm. I was like I have to be okay with neither of those things happening. And so I grieved it like it was never yep. going to happen. Yep. Um, so him actually saying I want kids and that being a possibility again was just like, oh, I've got to access that file again. Like this is, this is, you know, scary. And having grieved that, it didn't make my desire for a child any less. Like this is still something that I really wanted. I want people to understand that. It's still something that I really wanted in my life. I just thought at that stage that I was never going to get it because yeah. I was already 36. And, and I think that's a you know, really important point. So I follow a lot of women who are childless, not by choice. Mm. And because you have made peace 
because you, you've now got a really fucking amazing life doesn't mean that there's still going to be an element of wanting that or like you can have multiple emotions and multiple desires and mo- like you can have a multifaceted life and brain and all of those things like it doesn't have to mean that you're you all of a sudden be like no put that in the time capsule bury that let's never look at it again and yeah. I, I now don't ever want that in my life I don't think yeah it has to be always that black and white or like clean cut or anything like that well you know what I think healing has so many layers and yeah. in the beginning the healing is obvious um, because you're like okay it was really bad and then I've healed but healing can happen for years mm-hmm. and even when you're okay with something like I was talking to um, a friend last week who's had very awful uh, loss of pregnancy at around 19 weeks and all of this. And she was just talking about being jealous of um, a friend of hers who's pregnant. And she said, you know, she found it really hard to say the word jealous. She was like, jealous. And I was like, you know, like whispering. And, and I was like, there's nothing wrong with being jealous. It's just an emotion right? No emotions are bad. All jealousy shows you is that that was something that you really wanted. It's a desire. Yeah. Like it's, it's part just of a desire. desire. It's not like this horrible emotion that we have, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone's made it out to be. It's just showing you just something that you really, really desired. And it's okay to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, cause we, you know, too, too many times we are pushing down those emotions and then they perpetuate that way. But I was talking to her about that and having this realization about jealousy and, you know, it's just something that you really desired. And it helped me re-evalu- reevaluate some of my own previous times when I felt jealous mm-hmm. of pregnant women mm-hmm. before I had kids, well, a child. And like, even though I'm, I was healed um, from that jealousy long before I actually had a baby that was another layer of healing for me of understanding it on a deeper level for myself yep and sometimes it takes space and it takes sometimes it just needs to come up organically because back then I used to judge myself for feeling Mm -hmm. that way oh I don't want to feel that way and I'd avoid looking at it and avoid trying to feel that way and when you take the judgment out of it and you just go, oh, I was just, that's just something I wanted and my, that emotion isn't bad, it, then it just is. And it's, you deal with it and then it passes. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. That's the way it works for me anyway. Yeah. It's just being able to look at it and, and work out what the jealousy was trying to tell me at that point just created a new level of healing for me, even though I feel very healed from it. So I think that those kind of things will go on for the rest of my life with things that have happened. Yes. And what did trying to conceive with Mr. Amazing look like? What was that journey? That journey was, now I've mentioned all, I guess, all the stuff that I have before because, and the level of healing that I went through after, you know, my marriage and hitting rock bottom, because I think at that stage, I really approached things very differently. Um, But I also had some limiting beliefs around it too, like really big ones. I pretty much didn't think it was going to work. So, 
And I know that that probably influenced the way I approached it and my actions. Mm-hmm. I didn't look into any kind of supplements or any kind of acupuncture anymore or any kind of charting or, you know, um, fertility diets or anything like that. Um, maybe that's a blessing. <laughs> maybe it was a curse. I don't know, but I actually had this kind of belief that it probably wouldn't work. So we went on for about 18 months trying. Um, and then, um, uh, we just decided it was time to try IVF mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and that was funny because, oh my gosh, I even hate admitting this, but like I'd started a new job and, but life was great. Okay. At this point, life was amazing. Like I was having a ball, we were having fun adventures. We were like going out in these crazy date nights that we were just kind of one upmanship on each other. Like I had him in Centennial Park in Sydney one time um, doing a, trapeze course um (laughs) and he was swinging by one leg not by choice it was meant to have both over but he he only had one because he'd only made one over and you know stuff like this like we were having a lot of fun like going to um like a bar that was you know doing a sketch night and like burlesque dances and you'd try and sketch now you know I'm a very stick figure kind of person so my drawings weren't great but we just have a ball um doing all this kind of stuff and you know, we had great friends and just lots of crazy times together. So life was good. I have never, you know, I just, it felt like the, the fairy tale. It felt like something out of a movie. Um, so the fact that this fertility journey was going right, I just really wasn't even focused on it. Like it, um, and I think also because I thought it wasn't going to work, <laughs> to be honest, um, like, you know, naturally. Um, so we went to the, to the fertility specialist and, you know, he told me, I think you have to go straight to IVF. So that's what we did. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Like I'd started a new job and everything was great. And I decided to get healthy and lose some weight again. (laughs) Like, I don't know why I thought that I should do this to myself after 10 years earlier, but I did, but because of the 10 years earlier, I decided to, you know, make sure I was eating a lot of food and exercising a lot. But, and that's pertinent to the fact that um, the very first IVF cycle that we were going to do, of course, you go in for your day three test and the nurse calls you up and tells you, yep, your levels are fine. You can come in and start taking your injections. And I had no, like zero clue about FSH uh, that's, I didn't even know what the word meant, really. You know, your FSH levels, what the hell is that? And that was the first time that I learned that um, about them because my level was at 21. And I don't know how that equates to any um, other scales. That's the Australian scale <laughs> of blood tests. So it was at 21, which was super high. Um, and she told me, oh, sometimes they, you know, they fluctuate. It could come down next month. Um, and I felt like I hit a brick wall. Like I got off a phone call and I was shocked because I didn't think there was anything at this point that could stop the IVF cycle, but it did. And, and yeah, but I got, I thought, you know what, like I got over it very quickly. It's like, okay, well, we can try again next month. Let's hope it's come down and, it, you know, it's, it's 
cursing myself that I'd gone on my fitness regime and because no, um, yeah, I was so sure that this was the cause and, yeah. and I think it was because I think again too much exercise was just um, my body is sensitive to it so um, but the next month my FSH level was 19 it had only dropped like two points and my doctor talked to me and he said look sometimes you've just got to get started which can often feel like a gamble when you're paying that much money. But I'll say this, it felt like the right next step. Mm -hmm. I wasn't worried about it, you know, like, and I think that that's one thing I teach people a lot. You've got mm -hmm. to listen to yourself and what feels right, not out of panic or fear. I had no panic or fear going in. Um, just that it feels like the right next step. Hey Warrior, so sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to jump in and see if you'd had the chance to check out my new little program, Warrior Rising. It's a five-day radical mood reset and I'm sure that you will love it. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise to check out my new program, Warrior Rising. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Do you feel like the reason you were so kind of pragmatic about it was number one, because you have had done this life coach training. And I think when you do things like life coach training, it almost trains you to not see failure as failure, but also help you make scarier decisions in life and take bigger risks. But because you had already gone through this process years earlier, you had grieved, you know, like what having children might mean to you and also come to peace with the fact that it may never happen so that combination of those three things that helped you be feel so pragmatic about like this is the next step this is what I'm going to do I'm not going to you know wallow for days and months because I know that's like there was a lot of wallowing <laughs> uh, you know you have the, the we all have this breakdown moment I feel when we come to the other side and before that breakthrough moment for me there was so much wallowing so much grief and on the other side of that I was able to be pragmatic but I you know it had it not been for all of those other things that had happened for me beforehand then I wouldn't have felt that way but do you think that's why yeah I mean yeah I was taking a very different view of it than most people going into IVF I know people go into it feeling like a failure already I certainly didn't feel like that I looked at it like this could actually be a possibility and an opportunity for me to be a mother like let's just see if my body works let's see if it works in this way now having said all of that like had it not worked out I don't know how I would have felt I don't you know mm. it, it's hard to know how you, I would have felt in that moment or, you know, was there something else I would have had to agree then to go on to accept that I wasn't going to have biological children and, you know, um, and maybe adopt children or go down that path. But I just was kind of open to how my life could look, you know, um, knowing that we make all the plans that we make in our heads and life is going to look different it's never going to work out the way that you have it planned in your head ever. And I was just, I, because of all that I'd been through, I was just always back to basics of like, if I can't be all right, 
like I've got this kind of thing is like if you can't be happy just sitting on your kitchen floor doing nothing then then something's wrong like you've just got to be able to come if I don't if I can't come back to basics and just be okay and be grateful for what I actually have then I feel like I've got nothing and I've got to reach out for help and change that like I can go on to and it doesn't mean that I don't want things it doesn't mean that I don't want you know, didn't want kids or I didn't want this or I didn't want a great career or whatever. But it's just like, well, if, and, and sometimes, you know, I'm a human having a human experience. Sometimes I get lost in those visions too. And then it's a process of bringing myself back and saying, okay, how is it? You know, I've gotten off track. Here I am again. <laughs> I'm grateful for what I have. Actually, what I have is pretty good, you know, and finding my way again. Um, so did yeah. it work? So did it work? Yes, it did work. <laughs> so I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed IVF. Um, we went in, my husband came with yeah, me yeah. to... End of the story. <laughs> um, we, we went to every single appointment together, like mm. every single appointment, even if I was just having a blood test. Oh it came God. along. Yeah. It was like we did it together. And that wasn't me saying, oh, you have to come along. That was like... He was wanted to be 100% part of it. Um, that was that was great for me. Like, you know, so many people say that you know a, a medical process like that can really take the the spark out of, out of a relationship or the love out of the process. I felt so much love in the process from my husband that it took nothing away from creating, you know, my baby. And, you know, it's like we had the egg retrieval and, you know, the sperm collection. And then we were at home that night laughing about like, you know, uh, imagining them in a little, you know, Petri dish with velvet in it, you know, <laughs> like a nightclub with some Barry White music playing and his sperm saying, hey, do you come here often <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. So we made fun out of it. We made ceremony out of the injections. We just made the process our own like we know how to do as a couple which was really lovely and um yeah and then lo and behold it actually worked um which I was actually really shocked about because I didn't actually think I was pregnant when I went in for my test um in hindsight you know hindsight I probably could have told you know worked out that I was pregnant but I'd never been pregnant before. And so anything I just dismissed is like, ah, no, nah, that's not it. No, mm -hmm. I'm not pregnant. And um, so I actually really resented going in for my blood test. Oh. I didn't want to go. I almost didn't go because wow. I was like, oh, you know, it's just the, the people have to tick a box to say they've taken my blood to tell me I'm not pregnant. I know that anyway. Why do I have to go in for them to tell me that? And so when the nurse called me and said, congrats, hun, you're pregnant, I actually said, <laughs> you're joking. And I must've had a tone in my voice because she was like, uh, I don't tend to joke about that kind of thing, but I was just so shocked. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that worked out and that was amazing. And then your <laughs> next challenge. And then my next challenge. <laughs> so, well, everyone who might be feeling a bit jealous and that's okay, tunes out, has, might have tuned out, tune back in <laughs> because my story gets a whole lot more interesting. Um, yeah, so a year goes by and we've got our 
beautiful little boy. And we decided that we wanted to try for another one. And look, I have to say, like in looking back of what was different the first time and what was different the second time, I had lost my way. I really did. It's like, I think I expected it to work because it had worked mm -hmm. so easily the first time. I, ha I have had many friends who, I was the one who didn't fall pregnant on my first IVF round and then went, felt like I went through hell and back. I have about three friends who were all doing IVF at the same time. They all fell pregnant on the first IVF round and they were completely derailed because they went it, IVF magic yep. solution work <laughs> and they're like boom shakalaka let's do this again and it's so easy right <laughs> yeah like I just do the IVF and it works um and but then became and it's not a funny like it's not funny it's heartbreaking because mm. they really struggled second time around with this concept of it not working and secondary infertility you can tell us brings with it a whole nother set of head fucks. Oh yeah. And I went through a lot. I went through a lot of head fucks. I, you know, um, when everything had worked out so well the first time and then I went on to have four miscarriages mm. after that. So, you know, many attempts, <laughs> you know, putting my all into it, but yeah, again, I lost my way because <laughs> Again, I seem to find myself in this situation sometimes, but I was sitting in a very toxic job and it's very hard to describe, but I wasn't the only one feeling so deflated in this role that you're in all the time. Like I know the copywriter down the, the hallway was throwing up every morning before she had to come in and things like this. So, you know, I won't go into it, but it was just not a very nice place to work. But again, in my mind, I felt stuck to stay there because, you know, it was part-time and that fit in with our family and we needed the money. And I was thinking, I can't get, you know, this kind of flexibility elsewhere in starting again, you have to prove yourself and all of this. So I stayed in this very toxic environment feeling like shit. <laughs> and, you know, we, you know, for me, I know that things can't be successful that way. They just can't but I had so many head fucks along the way with the fertility journey. Everything was compounding each other. So, you know, perfectly tested embryos that didn't take, well, sorry, did take and then would turn into a blighted ovum that my body didn't recognize until week 11 or something, you know, just um, miscarrying on my 40th birthday, um, stuff like that. It was, you know, like I had this whole, moment where the on my 40th birthday I woke up and I started um to bleed and I knew I was having a miscarriage and we we're actually away at the time at this resort and you know I went up to the the buffet for breakfast and I was getting something for breakfast and this person it was random. It was so weird. Sometimes the universe, I think, throws these things out to test you or something, but it was like, it's a great day to be alive. 
And as the way she said it, it was just really weird, really strange out of nowhere. But that word caught me right alive. And it's like, well, you know, my mind, my baby's not alive. And I just, I crumbled. I ran back to the table and I'm crying. And, you know, um, my husband was being so wonderful and just so supportive. And here I've got tears streaming down my face. But I've got to say, fundamentally knowing underneath that I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the difference for me. I knew I was going to be okay. But tears streaming down my face, just as the mariachi band comes over to my table to sing happy birthday. So then the whole restaurant is looking at me while I'm bawling my eyes out. And I was just, I wanted the world to swallow me. I really mm-hmm. did at that point. And if there's anything to take away from that for people, it's like in those moments when you're down and shitty things are happening, it's okay to feel like crap. (laughs) It's okay to want the world to swallow you. It's okay to feel your emotions. It's okay to cry and to feel like crap. You know, we're all human having a human experience. Going through that is important. And what was important for me in each one of my miscarriages was to actually really feel my feelings fully and just turn my focus to me and have it all be about me. You know, I didn't wallow in my emotions and say, why me? I mean, there's a lot of head fucking in like, why is this happening? And going to doctors and they're all just like, Oh, I've got no idea. And, you know, even me joking with my doctor going, what do you mean, doc? You mean there's gray areas in conceiving? You just go, oh, yeah. Oh, goodness me. (laughs) And how did you get the courage to keep trying after the second or third loss? Um, That's a really good question. I mean... The first miscarriage for me was um, frozen embryo transfer and it was only at week five. And, you know, for some people that's enough, but for me, it was like, okay, that wasn't meant to be. I'm okay with that. That was number one. Uh, Number two, we actually got the heartbeat and whatever. So that one was harder to process, you know, um, and that was a whole other IVF cycle then another IVF cycle. Um, how did I get the courage to keep going? I mean, the last one was the strangest one of all. That was a cancelled IVF cycle and I actually got pregnant naturally. (laughs) I was like, that was a shock. Um, I think I just really believed in this baby. Mm. I think I just really believed in it. And, um, And no one was giving you answers. Like no, no one- I had no answers. I had more insensitive comments than you could probably poke a stick at. You know, I had people presenting my results to me at hospitals, of like you know, of making sure, like the perfectly tested embryo. Yes, it was. You know, no genetic misnomers came back. But she pre- she goes, "Do you want to know the sex?" Like it was like it was exciting. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, "Wow." That's interesting, isn't it? But like, you know, I, I can separate myself enough to know that the, what she was doing was wrong. It was no, you know, reflection on me or, yeah. or my healing. Like, probably 
to treat no. capacity. But still, empathy training in healthcare is very important. Um, so I kind of made the decision that things needed to change in my life at that point. Mm. Again, I'm sitting in this very toxic job, you know, basically gotten myself back to where I was before in, in many ways in, in feeling. I mean, I had some really great parts, obviously my husband, my little boy, you know, and nothing could ever take away from that. But there was enough wrong that, you know, that it was eating me up. And so I made a really important decision to, to leave my job hell or high water I'm not a risk taker and I was like I've got to take the risk I've got to jump before I'm ready before I have another job and and just do this for me for my family for everything and so I jumped and and um you know did healed from that job immediate feeling once you had given in your resignation oh so good. <laughs> so good. Like sometimes we stay stuck in indecision. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think sometimes um, a decision is just ninety nine percent getting there, but the mm-hmm. you know the results and the decision actually happen in an instant. Just sometimes we have to convince ourselves that that's yeah the right thing to do. So you know, handed in my resignation, went on a holiday. Life was feeling great. And, you know, look, it, it's funny to say, but for the four years that, um, that I've been going along in that job, in that toxic job, I was like, coaching kept calling me back. Mm. Like, coaching, you love it. Come back to it. You know, this is what you were meant to do. And, of course, I hadn't started doing that, like, 10 years earlier, um, but then everything got derailed when I'm... Um, uh, when I got my divorce because I needed money at the time, consistent money and my business hadn't gone off the ground enough for the consistency or the amount of money I needed, I should say. Mm-hmm. And so I got lost back in corporate, but what I've always really loved and what I'm always really passionate about is coaching. And you know what? I'd been in those waiting rooms enough that I was just like those IVF clinics, just knowing these women need support. These women are miserable. And I'd had my misery and things like that too, don't get me wrong. But I had ways, even if I wallowed in it for longer than I should have, I knew I had ways to get out of it. Yeah. And I think I fundamentally knew that I was always going to be okay, no matter what happened, yeah. even in my darkest days. And having that feeling and knowing as well that your purpose in life is so much more and that you can be like without anyone or anything external that you can you are enough mm-hmm. this is a life game changer so after you quit your job did you magically fall pregnant and have another child of course no of course not <laughs> no what happened was I was just about to start another IVF cycle um, I was completely switching clinics uh, life had gotten too, way too expensive through the private clinic. So I was going through the public hospital. It was going to cost me less than half. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, so here I was starting the process and they said, oh, you have to go and have, you know, your pap smear and your um, breast check. So I went off to my great GP, my great doctor, who um, helps me with breast checks because I'm one of those people that has a very lumpy breast that, 
I couldn't tell the difference if I did have a lump or not. So I make sure that I have someone who knows what they're looking for and feeling for. And unfortunately he felt a lump that he didn't like. And um, yeah, pretty quickly after that, say a week, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So they went- I mean, we have some clients, we have a client in the intensive right now who was just recently diagnosed. So are you able to share with us what type, what stage? Because lots of it's cancer and fertility come up a lot. Yeah, look, I was extremely lucky in many ways um, because I say that lucky, no one's lucky who gets breast cancer. Um, but I had mostly what's known as DCIS, which is breast cancer that's sitting in the, um, in the milk ducts that hasn't found a way to invade your body yet. Right. And there's lots of women who have low grade and medium grade DCIS that it never goes on anywhere. But mm-hmm. I had a lot of high grade and um, I actually have, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, but I actually have a 3D modeling of my boob that my doctor did with the extent of the DCIS that was um, in my breast. Mm-hmm. And it's, it looks like a fantastic paperweight. Um, unfortunately, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it, it was huge. It was just like, it right. was ridiculous. So, uh, so you know, but again, these mixed messages, right? And, and I can relate this to infertility. Is like one minute I was being told, oh, you're going to have to have a mastectomy and lose your entire boob. And the next minute I'm told, well, it's not quite cancer because it hasn't been invasive yet. And I'm like, oh, great. Maybe I, you know, like I'm hope of like, I won't lose my boob. Um, But no, that wasn't the case. So, um, and actually when I had had my operation, they actually found like the smallest little bit of invasive cancer. So, um, you know, my time was um, up in that regards, like, if I'd waited much longer, that things would have turned uh, a lot more nasty. Yeah, Mm. they would have turned very nasty. And so, yeah, so then I had uh, my mastectomy. I had a lot of complications. I had, you know, six operations in about two months. Um, had, had to have a lot of time on bed rest and things like that, um, you know, and it cost a lot of money. And, you know, so fertility and all of that really had to take a back seat because I really wasn't ready to leave the family that I had. <laughs> so I had to make that choice. Um, even having said that, I was considering IVF at one stage and I, I remember like, you know, insensitive comments talking to my medical oncologist and she's like, oh, well, you can go and do that, but I don't think it's going to work. Right. She had no, absolutely no clue about the fertility space. Mm -hmm. She wasn't trained in it. She couldn't even tell me, you know, she couldn't even tell me if the drugs that I'd have to take were okay for me to take you know, if I went and did IVF. Um, so, you know, there was all of that. So, so that was interesting. Um, 
So I always say to people, you've got to get doctors that believe in you. You've really mm. got to get doctors that believe in you and aren't just taking your money and, and saying silly things. Um, because we, you know, when people have that white coat on, we take that information straight to our unconscious minds. And it, you know, whether you want to try and like combat it, you don't, it just goes to your unconscious mind and you take it on whether you want to or not. Uh, so then, yeah, I mean, the next couple of years were just a bit of a roller coaster. I had to have uh, lots of reconstruction. I got a mild case of encephalitis, <laughs> which is, do you know what that is? Sounds a bit like staff or, you know, one of these, you catch it in <laughs> hospital and... It's, um, it's swelling of the brain. Oh, like what sometimes children are born with this. Okay. Um, like it can be quite deadly. Yeah. The way they diagnose it is through a spinal tap. Um, thankfully, mine was mild. I never made it to the hospital. But, um, my Again, my GP uh, kind of diagnosed me with a mild case of encephalitis and I was getting better by that stage. So thankfully, I didn't have any medical complications from that. But I did in a way because then I just went through the next year where I was just exhausted. Like, mm. like and was your I couldn't function exhausted on your mind at that point or were you just like do you know what like I've just I've just got to there's another hurdle that's taken precedence and I can't even think about that or were you feeling like did you go through grief again or no I was definitely going through grief I was going through so many layers of grief mm. um around it all I, you know I still believed in the second baby mm. you know and I think that um I love the intuitive world and I love like so much woo-woo and pendulum and, and it's worked for me in so many wonderful ways. Um, but I had been to a few like um, psychics or whatever you want to call them, mediums. I, I, I don't know. I get confused sometimes. And they'd all told me that this baby was waiting there for me. And I was like, Oh, that's a head fucking yeah, yeah. And I think in many ways, if I didn't know that, then maybe I would have approached it differently. But I was like, but there's this baby there, there's this baby there. And look, I still I do a lot of baby spirit stuff. You know, I think it sometimes it can be important to connect to your baby. But for me, that stuffed me up at that point mm-hmm. a little bit. And I did go on probably for another little while just um still thinking about it. But it just got to the stage where I was like, you know what, I you know, again, I just have to focus on my health. You know, Mm. when I took stock of reality and I stopped planning my future, like I sometimes do, like everybody does, I was like, okay, well, this is the reality. Like I'm exhausted all the time. I was looking after, um, you know, my son, it was three um, on the days that he wasn't at daycare and I couldn't make it all the way through the day. Mm Mm-hmm without lying down like he was a good night sleeper he wasn't keeping me up at night there was none of none of the extraneous factors of why I should be tired but yeah it was it was kind of like a chronic fatigue like I'd have to go oh buddy um you have to watch tv mommy has to go and have a nap for an hour just to make it through so I was you know I was like well that's not a great way to try and get pregnant like my body isn't supporting me at the moment (laughs) Um, you know, it's not going to be supporting a pregnancy. Like that's probably the worst idea I could have. And that's not the way I'd planned it. Mm. Um, but I needed to listen to myself and I needed to really take that on board. Um, so that I had an opportunity to kind of start to feel better. 
and it's been a long road so and so I know I know that you've closed this that sort of chapter mm. now what tips do you have for people who be it temporarily or permanently have to sort of put that fertility journey to the side to be able I'm so like it's not just cancer as well there are so many times when we have other things that happen in our lives or like we have husbands who fall sick what tips or advice do you have for people when their fertility journey is derailed by other things in their lives look everything I look at in my life that has been traumatic or like a big deal if you like mm. I don't like to let them define me in my life these things happen, but I've, I, look, I've had examples of people over the years from a very young age who maybe had traumatic things happen to them and then that defined their life for the next, yep. for, the, for the rest of their life. And I thought, ooh, that looks awful. I don't want that for me. That looks terrible. Why would I want to walk around for the next 50 years feeling like shit? Um, or talking about it or talking about it like it happened yesterday, you know, when it was like 20 years ago. It's like, wow, that shows that that person really can't let this go. And what is it? You know, like I've just been interested in psychology from a, from a young age of like, what is it about it that they can't let it go? What are they going to make it mean about themselves if they let it go? They're making it part of their identity. Now, that's why I generally don't like the word infertility because a lot of people, once they start saying I'm infertile, I'm infertile, or I, I have infertility, I, saying I have or I am infertile, it's a very identity statement and it makes it part of who they are. And sometimes we defend our identities. People start wars over identities and our bodies our bodies do that as well. Like our bodies can defend what we believe and hold to be true about ourselves. And that's it's one of the reasons I hate the word because I don't want people to identify with it. However people identify themselves, they are always, always so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Always. You wrote, a, you even today or yesterday or a couple of days ago, I saw you write a post about why you, you know, about just all of the ways that the when you let infertility define you that it then can come to mean you know other uh, like words or parts of our being yeah absolutely um so i'm trying to get back to this question of like what would i what i tell people have to shelve it for a while it's like your life is about you fundamentally mm. and these things that, that you want in your life are about enhancing your life, not completing your life. And when you look at life like that and your journey at this point is that you need to look after you to either heal from a miscarriage completely so you don't take it into your next IVF cycle or your next round of trying. So you know, so you have the opportunity to feel whole again, then take the time to do that. Um, yeah, I just, it's so important. It's so important because, I mean, everything that I do with my clients is setting themselves up to have a good life, but it's also setting themselves up to be amazing mums. 
yeah, if they're feeling balanced and whole going into motherhood, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to be a mother also, um, but also have a great life because I tend to find that people who can't let go of their depression and their anxiety and things like that, who, who may have a baby anyway, tend to find the anxiety and depression still follows them into motherhood. Um, maybe they're happy for a year, but then they tend to get upset about something else in their life or depressed or because they don't know any other way. Life just is challenging. Like you're going to have challenges. So if why, I always think why not learn how to cope with challenges in life now, then let it keep repeating itself as it goes on. Mm. We have talked for such a long time. I know. I told you to grab a cup of tea. It's going to be a long one. (laughs) I feel like you've just shared so much wisdom with us and you can see how not just your character, but the training and what you have learnt at an early stage has then helped you cope with the, you know, the other challenges that have presented themselves. And I know that so many people who are listening are going to want to learn more about who you are, learn more about your journey, learn more about how they too can develop some of the traits, um, the strength, the resilience that you've shown. So can you just tell to us before we do the speed round about where people can find you and what it is exactly that they can do in case they want to work with you or explore options further? Yeah, absolutely. So I, my business is called Studio Fertility and you can find me at studiofertility.com. People currently can work with me one-on-one, which is great. I love working with people. I work very intuitively with people, which is fantastic. Um, And uh, yeah, Otherwise, I mean, if you just want to find out more, if you just want some lessons, just go to studiofertility.com slash meditation and you can sign up for a, a free week of learning more about how your brain works and why meditation, hypnosis and visualization can help you on your journey. So it's not just doing a meditation, it's actually learning about why and how you can use it to benefit you. So yeah, that's just free instant access to that. Um, on my website i also have a um a course coming up uh very soon which i'm going to open um to work with people in in a bit of a group setting but it's also going to have some personal one-on-one uh touches because i love that i love working with people and having that intuitiveness into the situation to help them with their blind spots because you know we all have our own blind spots (laughs) and they can find you on instagram at at Studio Fertility. Easy peasy. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for a speed round? All right. I'll do my best. Okay. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? Oh, I do. Um, 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 this isn't very speedy. Um, I'm trying to find it. I have a few. I don't remember the book that I want is here. Uh, there is a great book called Dying to Be Me by um, Anita Morjani which I really loved because it shows you the power of the mind. It shows you the power of what is possible. Now this is um, actually a cancer story um, Mm. about how she healed herself. She was on death's door. It's incredibly insightful though about um, 
her life and how she was always, always busy being a people pleaser and how she took messages and things on board into her own body, which created the disease and then how she came out of it on the other side. It's just, it's just a very incredible book. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? Uh, something that Peter Crone always says, if um, your life couldn't have happened any other way, why? Because it didn't. Mm, I love it. I love that one. For me, whenever I say it, I just feel these doors close behind me and I go, oh, right, I can't look back now. I have to look forward. Great. And it's such a calming experience. Yeah, I love that. And do you have a life hack or just a general life tip that you're like, everybody get on board with this? Um, hmm. I think anything that I've been successful with in my life, as much as I'm independent and as much as I, you know, can work out my own problems and I can, you know, work out a whole bunch of stuff, but the stuff that I've really been successful with in life, I've sought help for mm. to help me with my own blind spots, to push me um, to greater levels, to see what I'm not seeing and to challenge me to look at the world um, with, with a different perspective. And I think I used to think that, you know, being hugely independent as I was, I used to think, think that was a weakness. Mm -hmm. And now I see it as a major strength of actually reaching out for help when I need it. Agreed. Last question. If you had one message, you know how people hold up that cardboard, those messages? If you had one message that you wanted the world to hear, what would it be? <sighs> One message, one message, one message. Um, I, I, I can never put my thoughts on a piece of cardboard. <laughs> well, uh, just you are, you are worth so much more than you think you're worth. Mm. Yeah. Like this isn't a speed round, but I just want to say this really quick thing. There's this guy called Robert Diltz and I haven't seen it summarized like this, but this is essentially what it goes through. You know, first, when we have challenges, we need to believe that, you know, what we want is possible in the world. So can other people have babies in their forties, for example? Yes, they can. I've seen it. Okay. Next, I need to believe it's possible for me, right? Could it happen to me? And that's a different energy shift that you really have to get that into your body. And if you really take that on board, you'll know what I mean. And lastly, you need to believe you're worthy of it. A lot of people don't think they're worthy of the things that they want in their life. But I always like to take this one step further. And this is kind of my, my cardboard. It's like whether or not I get the outcome that I want, I am still worthy of it. Mm. And I don't know if that resonates with anybody else. It just empowers me so much whether or not I get what I want or the outcome or have that plan for the future that I've really always wanted, I'm still worthy of it. Mm. I love that. I cannot, cannot diminish my self-worth yeah. by what I get and what I don't get. Yep. Such a powerful way to end our interview today. Bella, you've shared so many pieces of wisdom with us and you have had such an incredible journey Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure it has resonated with so many people out there. My absolute pleasure. I've had a ball.
Thanks everyone for tuning in. I cannot wait to speak with you next week and hope that we can bring you more value, more support to your fertility journey. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. You know that I love chatting with you every single week. If you like this podcast, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe and share it with anyone, be it on your Instagram or your other socials to let them know that this has been helpful for you too and that it might be helpful for them. Please make sure also that you give us a five-star rating and I would love, love, love a review. They always make my day and they help other people find the podcast. So it kind of helps the search engine juices or the internet juices push this podcast out to other people when there are a number of ratings and reviews. And if you feel like infertility is starting to get the best of you and your emotions are starting to get a bit wonky, then make sure you check out my new mini program, Warrior Rising. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise and check it out. It's a five-day mini mindset transformation and it will definitely help pick up your mood, help you feel calmer and help you feel more in control of your journey. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise to find out more about my new program, Warrior Rising.